How many of you are feeling awkward because there should be a video rolling right now, <laughs> right? There's no video. Here's why there's no video. Because um, we couldn't find one that could kind of capture the spirit of what I'm getting ready to do. Um, yeah, you should be nervous. Listen, so this last, this last Monday was 4th of July, and uh, I mean, my family did about the most American thing I can think of. We went to a baseball game. Yeah, I'm sitting in the baseball game, uh, enjoying uh, some cheese conies, uh, watching uh, the Reds not be great. And um, of course, being July 4th, they had the big fireworks after the show and everything, and I'm listening and watching the fireworks, and it's weird for me as I was sitting and thinking just like, man, you know, it's a complex time right now. Uh, you know, as the United States of America seemed to be not so united, and I was experiencing different emotions um, as I was watching it and just thinking about what all of it is and the whole celebration of freedom and what that means to people, and it got me thinking. Now, before I say what I was thinking, there's something you guys have to do for me, okay? You have to, you have to put away all of your filters that you see things and filter things through. Okay, you got You got to put away. You got to put away uh, your 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 CNN filters, your NPR filters, your Fox News filters, your whatever those filters are. Right? You need to put away the all of them racist Republicans and all of them uh, godless socialist Democrats. You got to put those filters away, um, because through those filters, you're going to be tempted to think that what I'm saying is code for things. And what I'm getting ready to talk about isn't code for things. I don't want you to be listening to it and then being like, okay, through my filters, here's what I think he means by that. I need you to listen to what I actually say and try your best to not filter it through anything, right? Um, because it's not, it's going to be easy for you to be listening to me and issues start popping up in your head. Like things that the country is dealing with, you know, um, uh, all different things uh, from gun rights to abortion rights to uh, race relations to uh, I just uh, all of it. You, you name it, it would be easy to take what I'm saying and f- put it through your filter and be like, okay, that's what it means to that. But what I'm going to say doesn't have anything to do with any of those issues specifically. But it has everything to do with all of those issues that we're facing and dealing with right now as a country, but you can't be guessing what I'm trying to tell you. I need you to listen to what I'm gonna tell you. Okay, can we do that? Can we make an honest effort at trying to put away all of our filters and listening to what we've got? Because the thing that we are probably all most thankful for is I was sitting in you know, the whole celebration of the country thing and I was looking at the thing we're probably almost faithful for, even though we probably don't even realize it, um, is the Bill of Rights. As I was thinking about the whole start of the whole, first of all, what an ambitious thing to try and start a country. <laughs> Any of you who have started a small business, <laughs> think about the idea of starting a country. That in itself just overwhelms me. But this whole idea of the, the, the Bill of Rights, kind of as I was thinking about things, started standing out because not every country's got one. Right? It's not, it's not there. The Bill of Rights was created to protect our individual freedoms. That's what it was created to do. It was the collective name given to the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. And just to review, because most of you could probably name, I don't know, maybe three of them. 
uh, if you thought about it. Maybe some of you are a little smarter uh, than that. Um, but here's a quick review of what's in there in the Bill of Rights. The first 10 amendments, your freedoms, freedom, freedom of speech, right? Aren't we glad for that one? Yeah, as long as they're speeching about what I agree with. Okay. Freedom of speech. It, it what gives me the right to sit up here and say whatever I want to you guys. The freedom of speech. It's why I can do it. It's why you can say anything you want about what I say to you, right? It's why you can then go and post whatever you want on social media and respond to anybody on social media any way you want. It's that freedom of speech, right, that does it. What else is in there? Freedom of press is in there. Freedom of assembly. That's one we don't really think about. We think about it sometimes, like when protests and things are happening. But freedom of assembly is big. It's what keeps, there's other countries that for us to do what we're doing here today, we would have to apply for permission from the government to do it. Freedom of assembly says, no, you guys can get together and talk about what you want when you want. There's freedom of religion, right? There's the right to bear arms. That's always, you know, that's one that's in there. That's always a tricky one to me when I read it because that word bear it kind of sticks out. Have you ever like read a word and then go over it a couple times? And the more you say it, the more the word just doesn't make sense anymore. And so I'm looking at it. And, and as I read that sentence over and over again, it sounds like the right to bear arms, like a bear. <laughs> like That's the way the word bear looks. And then I put it the other way and then write a B-A-R-E. And that doesn't make it any better because that's just the right to tank tops. Um, <laughs> It's just weird to me when I read the sentence. I don't know. It, it just looks funny to me. Um, but it's in there, right? There, there's, uh, what else is there? There's right to due process. I mean, how many of you are so excited and answer your mail every week, hoping to do your civic duty of jury, jury duty, your civic duty of going to jury duty? Everybody look forward to that? <laughs> See? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's in there. Right to due process. That's good. That's good. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, freedom from search and seizure. That's great. Uh, freedom from cruel and unusual punishment. I'm glad that's in there. Here's one we should all be thankful for every day. Uh, the freedom from having to quarter soldiers. Aren't we glad we're out from under that mess? <laughs> that the government can't tell us. We got to put soldiers up. I know it's a big relief for all of you. Um, but this brings me to an interesting idea. So I'm going through and looking in there. It's like the way that stuff was written, um, people couldn't help but write in their context of where they were in culture at the time, right? And so when they were writing things like, uh, you know, the freedom from having to quarter soldiers, that just doesn't make sense to us anymore. Why is that a thing? At the time, that was a thing. And so if the Bill of Rights were written today, I imagine it would look a lot different. Imagine there would be different focuses, different ideas, right? The right to Wi-Fi <laughs> might be in the Bill of Rights, right? The right to, the right to education, to health care. Um, you know, others might say, we need to put in there the right to free enterprise without the interference uh, of the government. Some would say, you know, freedom from government and interference and everything, not just free enterprise. But we would have different ideas because we're in different experiences in this time of our culture. And so it would look much different if it were written today. Um, now, the guys who wrote the Constitution, they were pretty smart. Uh, it's a pretty solid document for the time and the things that they did. Um, but they knew that things were going to change. They knew that, that, that culture and life didn't stay stagnant. And so they knew there was no way 
that we could encapsulate every right in this Bill of Rights, in this Constitution. There's no way we can do it. So what they did was they created the Ninth Amendment, which the Ninth Amendment should be your favorite amendment. And here's why. Uh, Because the Ninth Amendment is the catch-all. The Ninth Amendment is the, hey, by the way, if we left a right off the list, it's in the Ninth Amendment. That was what they did. They knew that somebody would try and come along one day and say, no, the only constitutional rights are the rights that are listed. And they're like, "Mm, we don't want that to happen. And so we throw in the ninth. Is all of the things that we didn't specifically list. Here's what it actually says. It says this, the enumeration in the constitution of certain rights, which is all those rights that we just talked about, shall not be construed to deny or disparage others, meaning other rights retained by the people, which basically is just a legal sentence to say we've mentioned a few specific rights, but there are others that go beyond what we have listed. And if we were to rewrite the Ninth Amendment today to kind of make it a little more as to what we're experiencing in culture, it might look something like this. Uh, I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with anyone else's Ninth Amendment rights. Functionally, that's kind of how we approach rights here in our country. That, that, that is kind of what we do. It's how we think as Americans. I can do whatever I want. It's my right as long as I'm not infringing on someone else's right. Now, here's the problem. Here's, here's where we get into trouble with this. The problem is that if you give somebody rights, but those rights are not coupled with responsibility things go horribly wrong, horribly wrong, right? Case in point, did any of you ever growing up as a teenager get the right to drive a car? (laughs) You met the legal age, then you met the legal requirements that you had to do to get that license. Then you met whatever minimum amount of trust your parents needed to hand you the keys and let you take off and do whatever it was in the car. But you didn't quite have the responsibility to go with it. So something happened after that, right? You broke curfew, you got speeding ticket, hopefully you didn't get into an accident, uh, you know, and, and they said, oh yeah, you, you had the right to drive a car. You didn't have the responsibility level to be driving the car. So guess what you no longer have the right to do? Drive the car. And they take the keys back and you've got to go, sir, anybody have this experience? Really? Thank you, thank you, Blair, thank you. Yeah, you can, because, because sometimes people are given rights to do things and then there's no responsibility. So for example, with the whole car thing, um, a 1992 Plymouth Voyager minivan, uh, you know, the kind that had the fake wood panel running down the side, right? little four-cylinder that, you know, you press the gas and it got real loud, but it didn't actually go anywhere. Just so you know, a 16-year-old can get one of those on a long, straight, downhill stretch up to 104 miles an hour. <laughs> Plymouth minivans are not made <laughs> to go 104 miles an hour. Um, needless to say, I lost some driving rights <laughs> for quite a while. But The point is, individual rights have to be coupled with responsibility. Otherwise, they get dangerous 
and things go bad. And in a nation that has rights without responsibility, there ends up being anarchy, right? Liberty without responsibility ultimately undermines liberty, right? That's how it works. In other words, here, say it like this, liberty can destroy liberty if there's no responsibility in the equation, which brings us to this question as, as we're sitting and think about this. Um, and all this is going through my head during fireworks at a baseball game. Not all of it, I'm just kidding. Some of it. Um, it brings us to this question. Why is there a bill of rights, but not a bill of responsibility? If responsibility is so necessary for the liberty and the rights to work and not be dangerous and fall apart, why isn't there a bill of responsibility? Here, here, here's why. Because the authors of the Constitution, and you see this throughout all the writings of the founding fathers, they assumed some moral guardrails that would provide an impetus towards responsibility. Which is easy for us to look back on now and be like, well, that's quite an assumption they made. But the way they wrote, that was it. They assumed that collectively, as a nation and individually, that everyone had a certain moral and ethical standard. And this made sense kind of at the time when you think about when it was being written. We had just come out of the revolution, right? The nation is all together. We have gained our independence. The country was united, right? There were no longer, they were no longer English or French. They were, for the first time, new country, Americans. We are together. This is what we're going to build. And there was sort of a shared value system within the colonies. And the founding fathers and all of the colonists that were here at the time, and the people who were the new Americans, they weren't all Christians, and you'll find that idea kind of twisted up a lot and people claiming that the Constitution is a Christian document and that's what the country is founded on. All of the founding fathers were not, but nearly everyone believed in some sort of God or higher power. It was the way that the culture was. And with that went some sort of implied moral code. In fact, there are three assumptions that you can find um, in the writings of the founding fathers. The first one is this, is that there is a, a consensus of conscience that people generally, of course, in any culture, there's gonna be people who don't, but people generally believed that the same things were right and were wrong. Here's another thing you'll find, is a consensus on divine accountability, that America was ordained by God, which led to a whole host of other issues. Um, the, the whole idea of eminent domain or the uh, uh, um, uh, manifest destiny with it is our God-ordained future to take over as much as we took over. That, that went along with that divine accountability. But generally, everyone believed on some level or another that somehow you had to answer to God. That was sort of a general cultural agreed upon thing. Uh, then you'll find this. Individual expression was governed by concern for other individuals, right? There was not an attitude of it's my right to do this and it doesn't matter how it impacts other people, right? There was a sense of my rights aren't just about me. I will use my rights to protect others. Now, in the sordid history of the U.S., obviously not all others were included in that I'm gonna use my rights to protect others. 
That's a whole nother trail we could get down, we'll get down another day. But in general, this was the idea of the functioning culture. Um, Now, John Adams, who was the second president, he was vice president to George Washington, um, he was against slavery and he never owned a slave. And that was kind of a remarkable thing in that time. And he wrote this. He wrote, our constitution was made only for a moral or religious people. In other words, it was written with the assumption that people, people with morals and religion or accountability of God, that that was who this was for. And then here's this next sentence. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, this thing that we've written, you know, when they, when they got out of the room and they took months and months, there were many drafts to this thing and they wrote it and they came out. People were like, all right, well, you guys were in there for months working on your constitution. How is it? Well, in short, it's wholly inadequate. Unless there's some sort of consensus of morality that we're all on the same page with what we generally agree is right and wrong. And if there isn't a moral consensus and sense of accountability, this grand experiment in freedom is going to fail. If there's freedom without responsibility, our liberty will devour our liberty. My rights are gonna compete with your rights. And when my rights clash with your rights, who's to say who's right? right? (laughs) That's the way it is. But here's what happens. Here's what we've fallen into as a society, is when my rights come up against your rights, then the courts decide. This is where the courts start playing a big role. This is where laws really come into effect. Because when it's up to the courts to decide, our government then has to end up making law after law after law to address every single possibility of anything that may occur, right? It's why we have so many laws because Americans, A, are hell-bent on their own rights and B, are also hell-bent on finding the loophole in every single law that they can possibly find so that they can express their rights the fullest. It's why our legal code is such a ridiculous mess because everything we do to it is trying to head that off. And in a culture where the only accountability is the laws and the government, then that's left up to the courts to decide who's right. Now, here's the issue with the law. (laughs) And I know it seems like every time I introduce something, I'm finding an issue with the new thing I'm introducing. But here's the issue with the law. The law represents the minimum requirement, right? The law is the lowest bar that you have to clear. Right? Because the law represents this question. How low can I go? How low can I go? The law is essentially us asking, what is the line that I can walk up to and it still be socially acceptable? What is the line I can walk up to and I don't get into trouble? And when there is no greater accountability other than just the law, we go as low as we can go. That is the natural pull of human nature. We will go as low as we can. And so those are the questions that the law answers. What's the line? How low can I go? 
But the law can't inspire greatness. The, the law can't inspire excellence. The law can't mandate virtue. Right? It can only answer how low you can go. So, for example, traffic laws are important. But traffic laws do not make you a courteous driver. They just answer, what's the worst driving I can do and not be in trouble, right? Tax laws don't make you financially responsible. They just set the bar as low as it can go, right? Civil laws don't make you civil <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Neighborhood association standards do not make you a good neighbor. <laughs> in fact, they seem to bring out the opposite in people. Can I get an amen? Right? DUI laws do not inspire you to sobriety. They don't do that. Assault and battery laws do not make you a kind person. A marriage license does not make you a good spouse. You see what I'm getting at here? Laws just set the minimum. They don't inspire greatness, right? Laws are powerless to inspire. I mean, listen, you have the right to sleep with whoever you want as long as you're consenting adults, right? There are no laws that are gonna inspire you to marital faithfulness. It's not what laws do to fidelity. So where do those things come from? The things that are the inspired, the higher things, the greater behaviors, where do those come from? Because they don't come from the law. They don't come from the courts deciding. That's not where they come from, right? So as a result, here's, here's where we are. We have individual rights that are regulated by law, but that is a re recipe for us to be as selfish as we can possibly be legally, right? And in the system, rights become, and this is where it gets so tricky, rights become an exercise of power. In our current system, in the way that it's set up, that's what rights are is I am exercising my power. And the resulting culture that we find ourselves in, because that's the system that we've grown into, is one where the rich are always going to rule the poor. That's the system we're under. One where women will become more and more of a commodity. That's the system we're under. One where children are always going to be the victims. We are now in a system where if it's legal, it's moral. People have equated those two things in their mind. If it's legal, it's moral. We are now in a system where law is what informs our conscience and everybody looks for the loopholes. So with all of that being the system that we're in, let me just end up with this. God bless the United States of America. Let's play. Like, yeah. Here's the kicker. You ready for a kicker? Here's a kicker. Our legal system is permanently decoupled from moral and divine absolutes. It is. It's permanent. We're not going back. That train has left the station. But there is hope within the entire process. You ready for the hope? I know I've brought a lot of downers here on the following up our patriotic celebration of 4th of July. Here's the hope. The hope is you. The hope is you. 60 to 70% of Americans still consider themselves to be some sort of Christian or religious. 
Um, and our conduct as Christians has more potential, has more potential to bring about change than any candidate we can elect. Our behavior as Christians has more potential to bring about change than any law that we can pass. The best hope for our nation is not elections and laws. Although, listen, those things are important. You should participate in those processes. I'm not saying withdraw and just let the carnal world fall to itself. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that's not our best hope. Our best hope is Christians behaving like Christians. Now, let me show you why this is the case, at least in my mind. Um, by the way, as you're formulating your emails, you're going to write to me about all of this. <laughs> um, I do read emails sent to me. Um, the creative ones I tend to remember the most and address in future sermons without referencing them. So at least be creative as you're writing me your thoughts. <laughs> um, but 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, as the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, um, which was a Roman province, but it had been conquered by Rome, and it was more of a Greek-thinking uh, province, um, he was writing to these Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, when most of us are all Gentiles, right? And there was confusion amongst the Gentile Christians on what their relationship to the Old Testament was, to the Jewish law. Right? They were being told, you have to keep the entire Jewish law if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Right? What you eat, what you wear, um, you know, what you touch, where you go, how you worship, whole nine yards. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you have to keep all of the Jewish law. And Paul was telling them, no, 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 no. That's not the case. Right? Now that you're Jesus followers, you are no longer under the Old Testament law. You're under a different law. And, and in making his case, he makes this statement um, that is so relevant for, uh, relevant for us and gives us directions on how to approach our nation's laws. How should we respond to our personal freedoms that we have, right? And uh, our natural inclination as people is to use our freedoms for personal advancement. And Paul would look at us and he would say, uh-uh, uh-uh, not so fast. Not so fast. You're Christians. You have been given a freedom and it is vital how you respond to having that freedom. And if Christians would follow this, it would make all the difference in the world. Here's what he says, Galatians chapter five. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And then here's the command. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, why would he write that? Because he knows us. <laughs> he knows us. 2,000 years after him, he knows us, right? He knows that when we are alone with our freedoms, we will go as low as we can go and still be okay. Our natural tendency is to abuse our freedoms and use it for ourselves. But he says, listen, you're Jesus followers, so do not leverage your freedom for personal benefit to the neglect of others. Don't ask, what can I get by with? Don't ask, how low can I go? Don't ask, is there a law against this? Rather, 
Rather, instead of asking those things, instead of behaving that way, and imagine what it would look like if every Christian in the nation did this. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That is what you are to do with your freedoms. Serve others, serve others, serve others. Now here's a thought. No law can make you do that. We can't mandate a law that you have to serve others. No law will even inspire you to do that. The only thing the law will do is draw that low line on how selfish you can be. But you, as followers of Jesus, should use your freedom to serve others. Listen, it is your right not to. It's your right, but you have the opportunity to. And then he takes us to one of the most well-known statements in all of the Bible, right? You know it. Jesus spoke its importance and Paul brings us back to it. For the entire law, every bit of the law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. You know the command, tapestry. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you get up in the morning, as a Jesus-following American (laughs) who has every freedom that is available to you, you should get up and you should think, listen, I am free to do whatever I want. I'm free to say what I want. I'm free to go where I want. I'm free to do what I want. I'm free to spend my money on what I want. Instead of that, Instead of that, you should wake up, okay, I have these freedoms, but then you should think, I will use my freedoms to love my neighbors. Now, how can I do that? That should be our perspective of how we approach our life on a daily basis, right? I will do for others what I want others to do for me. I will treat my spouse the way that I want one day my child's spouse to treat them. That's what I'm gonna do. I'll treat people I work with the way that I wish I had been treated at my last company or last job, right? I'm gonna listen to those who have different lived experiences than me, right? I'm gonna stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. I'm going to look at everyone in my life through the lens of How would I want to be treated if I were in their situation? And then I'm going to do that. That is what we should do with our freedoms, both as Christians and as Americans. Imagine, imagine what our country would look like if this was the approach that every single Jesus follower woke up with and applied to their life on a daily basis. Because if everyone behaved this way, guess what we wouldn't need? All the laws. (laughs) We wouldn't need them. Because when a nation stops asking, how low can I go? And begin asking, how good can I be? All of the fine print on everything becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore. When you leverage your freedom for the sake of those around you, the world instantly becomes a better place. I mean, come on. The only thing any police officer would ever have to do is just direct traffic. 
And they wouldn't even have to do that because people were driving bad. They would have to direct traffic because everybody would be sitting at the stop signs waiting on the other person to go and nobody would ever go. And so he'd just be having to be like, all right, you need to go now. Let's do this. I mean, it's so pie in the sky, but imagine if Christians acted like Christians were supposed to act. The difference there would be in this nation, right? Uh, lawyers would be out of a job. Can I get an amen? Because there would not be nothing to lawyer. <laughs> because it would be a different place. Andy, that's just silly. Mm, no, it isn't silly. To be honest with you and blunt, it's basic Christianity and most of us fail at it. But what a different country we would be. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's as if Paul somehow, as he's writing 2,000 years ago, can look into the future and can see the 21st century and tells us what is going to happen if we leverage our individual rights for selfish gain, right? And forget that we're part of a larger community, right? And this is unbelievable. He says this. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you bite and devour each other. In other words, that's mine. No, it's mine. I was here first. The law says, well, I'm getting an attorney. Well, I'm getting two attorneys. Well, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, I'm getting a better attorney and three more attorneys and then their attorneys are going to help. I mean, it's hard as I watch some of the things that go on. Our unofficial theme, I think our national motto, as I look at the way things are headed nowadays, seems to be um, the United States of America, sue early and sue often. Is <laughs> how everything seems to be decided nowadays. And that's how we got here. Because everybody is trying to use their individual rights for themselves to leverage their rights for their benefit at the cost of others. And that's what it is. He says, listen, if this whole thing devolves into every person for themselves, let me tell you where you're going. You will become like dogs biting and devouring each other and you will destroy you. That's where it'll go. See, listen, our, our, our greatest concern as Americans is generally, as I watch how everything's going, our greatest concern as Americans is generally what will happen to us from people outside of America who don't like America. There's a lot of focus on that. But in reality, uh, Americans are America's biggest problem, right? Not people from the outside. Because, listen, we undermine our own liberty when we leverage our liberty for us alone. As long as it's my rights, we undermine this experiment in liberty and freedom. And here's the thing. Listen, we have more rights than any other country. Um, and not just now. We have more rights than any country that has ever existed in the history of history, history of the world. <laughs> We do. But apart from a moral compass, 
Apart from responsibility, those rights are going to eventually be our undoing. We will devour ourselves in our quest to be free as individuals. But the church can turn that around. Jesus followers can turn that around. Not in the traditional ways, not by the, all the church becoming a unified voting block. And so we've got our voice and then we gain our political power. And then once we have our political power, we start manipulating the laws to ourselves. And it just, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. We can do it by becoming a unified obedience block. That is a group of individuals who live the way we have been instructed to live in the scriptures. By waking up every single day and saying, I am going to leverage my freedoms to protect your freedoms, not just my own. Imagine a day like that in America. Now, here are some statements to get your mind thinking about what that might look like. Here's the first one. I'm going to do what is just, not what I can justify. Our minds are never as creative as in the moments where we're justifying our actions to ourselves. And so we need to get into the mindset where we don't ask the question, what can I get away with? What's legal? What's as low as I can go? And we need to switch it. And we need to begin to ask and to think about how high can I reach? And how can I do what is just, not what I can justify? Here's another one for you. Do what is responsible, not what is permissible. If you're not willing to take responsibility for the potential outcome of a decision, guess what? Make a different decision, right? Somebody is going to be responsible for your irresponsibility. And if you're not willing to be that one, then don't do it. As Christians, let's stop that. Instead of saying, that's my right, let's start thinking of, that's my responsibility as a Jesus follower. Here's another one. Do what is moral, not what is modeled. Do what's moral, not what's modeled. Immorality, by your determination, whatever you want it to be, you come up with your own definition. Immorality is undermining the country. And listen, we can't afford to continue down this path. We've got to, at some point, stand up and say, these are the things that are happening, and that's what's being modeled, but that is not what is going to determine my morality. Unfortunately, what is modeled by a whole bunch of churches isn't any better than what's modeled by the secular world, by culture. There's a whole lot of bad modeling going on all over the place. And we've got to decide, am I going to allow that to determine my morality? I would say, as Christians, operating the way Jesus taught us to operate, is that we should be the model of morality, right? And then this one, honor, honor God. I mean, I feel like sitting on a Sunday morning saying that, that shouldn't really need to be a thing that's said. It should be just, you know, we're all Christians coming to church. Of course, we're going to honor God. But listen, this is, the, this, is the, this is the ninth amendment for us, if you will. This is the catch-all. This is good. It simply means every time you make a decision, 
Ask yourself the question, am I honoring God? Regardless of how long you've been a Christian, how much Bible you know, how often you pray, you intuitively know the answer to the question, is this honoring God? It's self-evident. Now imagine all of the Christians in America behaving like that. I mean, just imagine. That's, Christian, that's Christianity 101, right? And I love the Bill of Rights. I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we're a nation that has laws. I don't want no laws. But we've been called to do better than those things. Those are the minimum. We've been called to love our neighbors or self. We've been called to do unto others as we would have done unto us. We've been called to carry each other's burdens. We've been called to leverage our benefits for the right of others. Because listen, it is the only way that we can get to the end of the road and liberty will not have devoured liberty. Our default position should not be, it's my right. We're called to more. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you modeled this for us. I thank you that this was the revolutionary change that you brought to humanity. As someone, as the single individual who had more rights than anyone to ever be on the planet, you chose to lay those down and to serve others. Lord, let us, as followers of you, live up to that example. Let us be the example for those around us. Lord, I pray that as individuals, that as a church, that we begin to behave in such a way when it comes to us using our rights to, for the benefits of others, that it begins to change, if not the big world, if not the country, if not the entire city, that it begins to change the environments in which we are in as people begin to see the difference in our approach to our rights. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures that do what no law can do, which is inspire us to be better. Lord, give us the wisdom to see the things that we should do and the courage and the strength to do them. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being out uh, to my talk inspired by fireworks at a baseball game. Uh, look forward to next week as we have church at the pool. <laughs>